0: Hello everybody and welcome to Mom of the Hard Kid. Today we're gonna be talking about the holidays, and we are also going to be talking about stress. If you have a child who is difficult, if you have a child with reactive attachment disorder, or and or if you have a child who's been adopted, you probably already know that the holidays are a difficult time for these children. Anytime you have a big event, it can throw your easily dysregulated child into some decently dysregulated waters. So as we are in the thick of the holiday season, we are between Thanksgiving here in the United States. It is almost Christmas. We are three days away from Christmas break when the kids are home for two weeks. And I can tell you and will will tell you there has been a massive change in the behavior of my reactive attachment disorder child. So whenever there is an event coming up, I don't care if we are going to a movie. I don't care if it is a family reunion. It doesn't matter what it is. When my daughter, who is, for those of you that this might be your first episode, she is six years old. She has reactive attachment disorder. She was adopted She has come a long way. We've made a lot of improvements, but there are still some decent impacts that come with this. Now, I just want to clarify, I am totally aware that not every difficult child has reactive attachment disorder. I know there are a multiplicity of reasons why your child is hard, but I'm going to be speaking from my point of view, but know that I see you even if that isn't what your child's diagnosis is. But as we come Towards the holidays. Let me just tell you what that looks like in our house. So about two weeks ago, I start having my little lady become really demanding, really difficult, and very easily offended. We had a solid week where she would just burst into tears over everything everything. And I was like, Oh, maybe she's getting sick. Cause Oh my goodness, this year, we have been sick every 10 minutes. So I was like, Oh, for sure. Like maybe she's just getting sick. And <laughs> this is what it is. But what was happening and what kept happening is, and then I finally, it finally clicked to me is I'm like, Oh, that's right. She gets amazing levels of anxiety regarding any kind of major event. And that includes holidays. It includes Christmas. Ironically, she doesn't have like a big Thanksgiving situation that goes on. We meet with my family and my husband's family fairly often. So gathering together as a family isn't as big of an event as it would be if we didn't do it that often. But when it comes to Christmas. My little lady, especially, is if you did the love languages thing, I'm sure you've heard of this. Maybe you haven't. There's a book out there. It talks about love languages and it talks about whether or not you like quality time together or things like that. She is a gift person. Her love language is gifts. (laughs) She wants to know that you love her through the presents that you give her. And I have messed up on that before. And it was a nightmare. I can tell you, at least three solid weeks of pure screaming and crying because she did not like the presents that I bought her. Now I know what you're saying. I know you're like, hey, that bratty child should not be reacting this way. And I think, oh, honey, I know. I know that my child should not be reacting this way, but that doesn't make her not react this way. And if gift giving is where she feels her love, I at least want to be cognizant of that. I want to be aware so that I can adjust myself in a way that I can present her with something that makes her feel loved without, of course, caving into her uh, whininess or her ultra desires for many, many things. We have this joke at our house. (laughs) because um when it comes to finances we try really hard to teach our kids to be really smart with their money because it's a critical skill to have in a as an adult, right? Like you don't want to be that person that goes to the store and spends thousands of dollars on stuff nobody really cares about. And then you can't pay your water bill, right? So we tried to go through this with our children. But this last little one is like, mom, I have $3. Will you please take me to the store? I need to spend this $3. We're like, no. If you save that three dollars and earn three more dollars, then you can get something that's six dollars. No, mom. I mean, I just want I just wanna spend this three dollars. And then we'll she'll spend the three dollars so she'll have none. And then we'll go to the store and she's like, Oh Mom, I want this eighteen dollar toy. And I'm like, Sorry, you can't get it. You don't have any money, Mom. And then she'll fall apart and then she will like you know, put herself back together and be like, I will get this. And then she'll earn her her $1.50. And then she's like, I need to spend this $1.50. I'm like, no, you're trying to save up for this $18 toy. And she's like, I can't. I need to spend this $1.50. And so we, it's a big joke at our house. We try so hard to get her to learn this lesson. And it is a very difficult lesson for her. Anyway, back to the holidays. So, Here we are entering into this gift giving season and she can feel it coming. And as soon as we start decorating, she starts getting anxious because I fully believe that a lot of reactive attachment disorder, I believe that oppositional defiant disorder, I believe that um, mood disorders are heavily centralized around anxiety. Now, other people might not believe me. I am not a professional. I am just a mom. But I can tell you, at our house, absolutely is there a huge connection between anxiety and behavior. I know that even for me, when I sit down and I think about what makes me anxious and what makes me have a hard time and when I'm upset, I can see now because I try to focus on it and try to understand my daughter, I can see that my dysregulation makes me grumpy and that I'm short with my children when I have a lot going on in my brain. And also when I am afraid of something, when something's coming up that I'm nervous about, I'm very short-tempered, I'm very bitey, I don't want a lot of chaos. I just just try to put a stop to it at all times. And when I see my daughter and I see her starting to get anxious over these holidays. And, and for those of you who know, you know exactly what I'm talking about, where all of a sudden the world flips like a pancake, you're upside down, she's doing behaviors she has not done in months. And it's like, Oh, no, wh- here we go. What are we going to do? So I came across this book, over a dozen years ago. And this is a really good book and it has a lot of really good information in it. And it's kind of like, it was It was printed in 1993. So it's called Mind Body Medicine and it was edited by Daniel Goleman and Joel Gurin. It's essentially like a Google list of articles about how your mind and your body are connected. And if it was made like a dozen years later, then it would have been a Google search and they wouldn't have had to have made a physical book. But I found this physical book. And I love this physical book. I love having it in my group. It's just a collection of articles and um, studies. And it's great. And it talks about I bought it for a totally different reason. But it talks about The connection between your mind and your body. And in this particular article that I'm going to be talking about today, it's called Between Mind and Body, Stress, Emotions and Health by Kenneth Peltier. Peltier? Oh my gosh, you guys, I'm the worst. So he starts out talking about asthma and he talks about how people with asthma will sneeze at plastic flowers. And then he kind of goes in and talks about how um, your body functions in a certain way. Because it's essentially been trained to function in that way by the events of life. And when he's writing this, he's writing this um, referencing the 1970s, the 1980s. Don't forget that this was all compiled in 1993. And he does talk about how there is a shift to more so understand this. And I think that here, a million years later, we do kind of understand this a little bit more, that the mind and the body are more connected. And that then things that happen to us mentally can affect us physically but he talks about how since the beginning of time with Hippocrates, people have noticed that when you're under chronic stress, that there is a physical change that happens to your body, a physical adjustment. And just like when I was referring back to when I'm stressed, and I all of a sudden, every patient's the piece that I have in my body becomes really short and really incapable of offering any kind of additional patience to anything. But that that kind of thing happens to a lot of our body systems. He talks about the autonomic nervous system. He talks about muscle tension. He talks about intestinal activity. He talks about heart health. He goes in and talks about how when you are in a super stressed point, you sort of have that physical representation. And what we forget, maybe as parents of kids who have had these things or who are in this, is that this doesn't necessarily go away. That sometimes that it's less and things are functional. And then sometimes there are triggers that can kind of bring all of this stuff back up again. And so, when it comes to the holidays at our house, they are a big trigger. And I'm not entirely sure, but I have a few reasons why I think they are so difficult for my daughter. There was one year on her birthday where I gave her some really basic presents. They were not great presents, they were basic presents. They were little, she was little. But not only was she little, but she wasn't at a point where she played with toys. She also would destroy almost everything that she did get as well as everybody else's stuff. So it was really hard to figure out what to get her that she couldn't destroy, that she wouldn't make a mess of and that you know she would actually use because when you try to give her like toys that you would play with. She didn't learn how to play with toys till she was almost six years old. She was about five and a half years old when she learned to play with toys. So I didn't want to give her toys because she wouldn't play with them. So I, I was really thoughtful about how I was going to make all these pieces match together, and it didn't work for her. She opened her presents and she's like, "What? Like this is it?" like, where's my stuff? And then we entered into that three weeks of pure screaming, pure rage, pure frustration. And she wouldn't get out of it. And then finally, after the three weeks, I mean, we still had like two and a half months before she could get over the presents. Actually, at Christmas time, this this situation resolved at Christmas time, when she got other presents and she finally was like, Oh, I like these. You must like me. <laughs> so it was like, Okay. <laughs> But so it was a long time before she was able to say, oh, no, they do like me. Her her mind had just wrapped so much into these gifts. And I'm not sure why. I'm not sure if it's because when she was in foster care, she got a gift every now and then from her parents. And she was like, oh, that means they love me. Or what if this is just ingrained in her from the very, very, very beginning I don't know. All I know is that's where we are now. So as we come to Christmas, I think that she gets a little anxious about whether or not we're going to show the proper love to her through her gifts. Now over the past few years, I feel like she's been fairly content with the gifts that she's been given and she's liked them. So I think that For her birthdays or for her Christmases or for whatever it is, she's been fairly happy about it. But I do think she gets nervous because when she gets in trouble, I think that amplifies her nerves to be like, oh no, are they going to give me a good gift? (laughs) Because now I've been in trouble. What if they hate me and give me a bad gift? And as much pressure as it puts on me, I just remind myself that she is living in this space this stress space where she is hitting places. I don't even know how to get there, but she's getting there. And honestly, I feel quite bad about it, but I do think to myself, I need to remember that as much as her stuff triggers me, right? Like I, I then have a a physical response. Somebody told me though, that I'm using triggered wrong. (laughs) So sorry, everybody as effects, as much as her actions affect me, that I need to remember that her life and her body are functioning in a way that she's having a physical response to a thought process. So as I go through this article more, it actually breaks into this little section here that I really like, and I'm just going to read that it talks about how There's a lot of impact of stress on the heart, right? But I found one part really fascinating. So it talks about the first section is various stressors. So it talks about, um, and I quote, ranging from mental arithmetic to physical discomfort, induce elevated blood pressure in both healthy individuals and people with borderline high blood pressure increases are greater and more prolonged for those individuals with borderline or preexisting hypertension. But it's this next one that I think is really fascinating. It talks about mental stress and I quote mental stress, such as doing complex math, a standard experimental stressor can induce a spasm or sudden constriction of the coronary arteries for people with preexisting heart disease. And end quote, what I, what I think is really fascinating about this is that this is just math. Someone had a pre-existing condition, and then they just have a math problem, and the math problem stresses them out so much that their pre-existing condition becomes worse at that time. And so as I was reading it, I was like, "That's right." I needed to remind myself that my child has a pre-existing condition. And when there's a stressor coming up, it impacts that pre-existing condition. It goes on to talk about how there is a huge connection between someone's personality and disease. There was also a really interesting article that I can't reference because I don't remember it. But I read it a couple of days ago where it was talking about how people who have... A fear of germs and illness tend to get sicker and die more from these illnesses. And so I thought that was interesting. <laughs> and I laughed because I think I'm one of those people. <laughs> Definitely a hypochondriac. Okay, so then it talks about how you cope with this. So, and I'm going to quote this too. Quote, if negative psychological traits can intensify the effects of stressors, positive ways of coping may buffer the body from stress. End quote. So what do you do when you're approaching a holiday and there are lots of opportunities for fun, but your child is in a really stressed out position and they're ending up with bad behaviors? So one of the things that I have to do is I openly talk about it. I'm a big fan of openly talking about it. But also, even though your child is being a stinker, if you know that there are underlying conditions and that those are stressful and that, you know, stressors are a big deal and that you want to, you know, save yourself from complicating this situation further, I recommend as just a mom to have more fun that when your child is a stinker, and normally you would say, oh, nope, we're not doing that because you're a stinker. I recommend trying to find more opportunities for fun to lower the stresses that are coming and see what happens with that. And I don't think you have to do it every time. I actually think it's terrible to do it every time. But as you're approaching a a holiday or some kind of event, sometimes it's the date of adoption, sometimes it's a birthday, sometimes it's a time of year but when you're approaching a time when they are constantly having difficulty at that time of year to approach it to provide more stress relieving opportunities in and, and in this sense with children I genuinely mean have fun with them I genuinely mean have a good time, turn on some songs, whatever it is, go, go do something fun. Because if you give a child who is stressed out time to think about things, sometimes that can just magnify the issue. Sometimes that's great. But I think in these times when you're hitting these moments, reframing the situation to provide different kinds of memories for that situation, is probably going to be a really good thing long term for this child. But the next piece of advice that comes from this article, I think, is great advice. And we've sort of touched on it in a previous episode, but I'm going to explain what they say here. So I'm going to quote, well, at the University of Chicago, Kobasa studied a group of business executives over eight years as they faced the normal crises of turmoil of running a corporation. She found that certain personality traits marked those who stayed healthiest while steering their companions one trait was seeing life demands as a challenge rather than a threat. Responding with excitement and energy to change. Another was having a commitment to something that they felt was meaningful. Their work, their community, their family. And a third trait, a critical one, was the sense of being in control, having the right information and being able to make decisions that would make a crucial difference, end quote. This to me is the biggest difference. And I know that we've talked about it from the angle of caregiving. And I do believe from the angle of caregiving that that paragraph right there is the critical piece of being able to flip being stressed out by your child to being able to deal with the stress that your child gives you. Not easy. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying it's critical. I'm not saying it's easy. But when you think about it from your child's point of view, and I really love that part where it says responding with excitement and energy to change. When you can shift their terrified, anxiety-filled reminder to a lighter, less heavy life opportunity, then you're going to be able to give that child a gift that you can't wrap in a wrapping paper. You're going to be able to give that child the gift of flexibility, the gift of an easing of the stress, and you're going to be personally, I think, empowered by that, which will then shift your mindset, but to be able to offer that. Now, this is not going to happen correctly in one year. This is something that you do, and then you do again, and then you do again, and you do it a little differently, and then you do it a different way, and then slowly, slowly, you chip away at that massive mountain of anxiety that this child has And then you will find that not only are they benefited from not having that mountain of anxiety be so large, but you're going to be benefited because not only have you reframed from being the victim of their mountain to being somebody who is taking control of this mountainous situation, but that you are also going to not have to deal with this big a mountain next time, and that's going to be great, and that is worth. Putting the effort in for. There's one other thing, though, that I want to talk about. And it's in farther in where it talks about prevention and treatment in this article. I this article is quite long. So I, I don't know. um, I want you all to just go read it. (laughs) But I'm sure it's somewhere not just in this book. But she talked he sorry, he talks about how there was this psychologist named James Pennebaker, who had a graduate student named Martha Francis at Southern Methodist University in Dallas. And they did a study, an interesting study, where they split people into different groups. And they had one group write about traumatic events once a week for four weeks. And then they had the other group not. So in the one group who didn't write about traumatic events, there was no difference in their immunity or their liver function or anything. But in the group that talked about their traumas, they had increased immunity and better liver function. And being able to talk about their trauma really benefited their physical well-being. So for you, caregiver, I recommend talking about it, writing about it, journaling about it. Even if you have to just talk to yourself in your car about it, talk about it. Get that, get it out of your body. And for your child, talk to your child about it. Get them, help them recognize what they're feeling, which can be very difficult for children who have any kind of constant dysregulation. But being able to put in that time and give them an opportunity to say, You know, here's where you are. If they, if they have a one-year-old processing of emotions, then use a lot of physical touch. Like, oh, are you sad? Are you stressed? And you know, show them your clenched hands. Like, whatever it is. Or you can teach them what those are. And as you go on up the chain of how they process, which it has to do with how they process, not their actual age, then you can go through and teach them and give them a foundation like the base of a pyramid where they can build up on that. And then they can be able to deal with these emotions better. And one of the hard things about this is it is a time consuming process. But I don't want you to shy away from how long it takes to do this. I want you to know that if you put the time in, there are going to be times in the future where it doesn't feel like it's working. But more often than not, you are going to see benefits over a long period of time. And I highly recommend it. If your child is old enough to write in a journal, give them a journal. If your child is too young to write, talk to them. If they have a special person they like to talk to that is trusted by you, not just by the child, but by you, you have to be, it has to be both. So if there isn't one of those people, don't do that. (laughs) It's going to cause triangulation but it, I have like, I have a daughter who could talk to my younger daughter and, and they have a good connection. So I trust her. They are able to talk about things. They're able to relate to things, you know, the drill. So doing this, when these hard times are coming by providing a funner approach or more opportunities to have less stress, to reframe that situation for your child and also to be able to provide a way and an outlet for your child to be able to process those feelings will help these really stressful times become less stressful as time goes on. Just remember Every little bit that you do is going to shorten the amount of depth in the pit that they're in. And so even if in the future, they're not making great decisions, know that they could have been worse if you hadn't put the time in. Be proud of yourself for putting in the time, putting in the effort. Be proud of yourself for approaching this really difficult situation with strength and with endurance and with waking up every day, even when it's hard, and keeping going. Be proud of yourself for that. And be proud of your child for the amount that they are dealing with mentally and they keep getting up. And they don't even know what they're doing. They're not even good at it. They've never had it baseline and easy like some of us may have had sometime in our past. Whatever you do, I hope you have a really great holiday season. I hope that your kids are nice to you. I hope that your loved ones are nice to you. And I hope the holidays are nice to you. Thanks for joining.